Good morning, church. Man, what an exciting time to be right here with the family of God, celebrating our risen Savior, who is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He is the Son of God and makes all things new in our life, does he not? Man, what a glorious time to be together as God's people to say, Jesus, you are the one who makes my life absolutely different. Thank you for doing that. We want to say welcome to our guests that are here today. Thanks for joining us, being a part of our time together. And I want to take a moment as well just to let you know that my dad is here in the audience. He's right up front on the second row, and he's giving me a weird face right now. But uh, along with Jesus Christ, of course, he's the one that put the Word of God in my heart and made me at one point at least decide to say, you know what, maybe ministry is what I'm called to do. So thank you, Dad, for doing that. Uh, What a joy it is to have you here, though, as our guest, worshiping with us. And our hope would be, of course, if you're looking for a church home, we'd love for you to be a part of our Crosspoint family right here, digging in to telling that story of hope that is Jesus Christ, using your gift sets to let the world know around us how awesome Jesus Christ truly is and how he can transform and make a difference in your life. We're going to be in Luke chapter 18 this morning, and I hope you've got your Bibles and will turn with me there. We'll be there in just a few moments. Our text will be on the screen. Uh, We'll eventually get to Philippians chapter 2 as well. You know, we started last week with a series called Come Empty, and we're continuing that today. This idea of emptying ourselves so that Jesus Christ can come in and change who we are fundamentally at the core, at our heart, so that we look more like him each and every day. That's our desire. We found out last week that even though we are broken, God loves broken people. And he can reuse and and put people that are broken into his story for his purpose. You don't have to have it all together. As a matter of fact, we see over and over in God's word that God only uses broken people. Uh, And so we surrender to him in this series and as we've done in our our life as well. Uh, And so we're continuing that today, this idea of come empty. We're talking today uh, about humbling ourselves and what does it look like to live life humbly? Now, we know this past weekend that college football finally showed up and some teams were humbled, unfortunately, but we'll look forward to this coming weekend, to other games that are on the horizon, because Jesus is that kind of rabbi that showed up on the scene and he just turned everything on its head, just like he does for us today. The same things that he stood for and spoke about 2,000 years ago are the same things that he speaks to us about today. He's that powerful of a rabbi. There are moments in his teaching where he would say, you have heard it said, but I say. You've been taught to think about life like this, but I'm calling you to think a little differently than the way you've been taught. You've been taught about God and your relationship like so, but I'm saying it's a little bit different. He turned all of culture on its head. And as he interacted with those religious leaders of his day, he calls them to task, reminding them that they need to have a heart change, not just the outward appearance, because those religious leaders in Jesus' day really thought that outward appearance was so incredibly important, that the way you looked on the outside was much more important than anything else. We had to look right And Jesus in Matthew chapter 23 gives a scathing review, the entire chapter, about the Pharisees that existed in Jesus' day. He says in verse 27, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites? 
For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look righteous like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. And Jesus, even back then and today, calls us to a different type of lifestyle, very different than the world offers you and I, because the world is all about me, me, me. Make sure number one is taken care of. And Jesus says, no, it's really a lifestyle I'm calling you to as my disciples to live humbly, not only before God, but before one another as well. You see, Jesus realizes and calls us to this idea that we're called to have a heart change. And the folks in Jesus' day had some 613 rules that they had to obey and abide by. And the Pharisees made sure that no one stepped out of line. It was all that outward appearance, how you looked on the outside. But Jesus reminds us that it really starts from the inside and works its way out. That Jesus calls us to this heart change. And when our heart truly is transformed to look more like Jesus, our behavior changes. The way we treat one another changes. Everything about life changes. And he says at the end of our text in Luke chapter 18 today, those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus challenges everything that our culture stands for today. He calls us to think about how we live in the world in which we do and how he's called us to be his disciples. He says, if you want to succeed in life, it's not about living for you, but it's about humbly existing in life. And we're not called to live for me, but we're called to live for Jesus and live him out in every part of our life. But this, this culture we live in hands out medals and trophies for us to show off. We're concerned about the size of our bank account, what type of clothes we wear, what we're driving, how many degrees we have on the wall. See, all that stuff is well and good in and of themselves, but the world says it's all about how much of that you truly have. And Jesus calls us to think about life differently than we ever have before, to really come empty before God so that his spirit can fill us up. The way to greatness is not up, but down on your knees. Realizing that you and I are far from perfect and we desperately need Jesus in our life. And so as Jesus does so many times in his ministry, he tells a story to illustrate what he's calling us to live. And in this story, there are two characters we'll take a look at in the book of Luke chapter 18. One is a a Pharisee. Now, the the Jews lived in this theocracy, not a democracy, not a king-led society, but a theocracy, meaning God is on top. Therefore, those who were in the religious circle were the ones on top of the hill. They controlled the social ladder, the spiritual element of life, even politics. They controlled everything in life, and so the Pharisee really had the respect of the community. The community did what the Pharisee said. The other character in our story today is a tax collector, and we've talked about tax collectors before. The tax collector, I don't want you to think of them as a Jesus-time IRS agent. That's, that's not what they were. The, the culture around that tax collector 
would have despised and hated a tax collector. They were Jews who were preying on other Jews, who were, who were really stealing money from their brothers and sisters. They also were allied with Rome, who was the enemy in, in Israel, and they wanted Rome gone. And so the tax collector was someone who was despised and really did not associate with other people. We talked about a Pharisee and a prostitute last week. And on that social rung, on the spiritual ladder, if you will, the tax collector would have been about two rungs below a prostitute. They were in a sin category all of their own. No one wanted anything to do with a tax collector. And so we see in our story on the spectrum two people on opposite ends. One who is, who is respected and revered in the community. Another who is unclean and despised in their community. And our story begins in Luke chapter 18 and verse 9. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not a sinner like everyone else. For I don't cheat, I don't sin, and I don't commit adultery, and I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. And we read that, and we're kind of pulled back a little. We kind of are repulsed by the way that the Pharisee carries himself. And we read that opening statement, and we think, man, I'm sure glad I'm not like that Pharisee. You see what just happened? We became the Pharisee in the story. I'm sure glad that I'm not a guy that prays like that. I'm glad I'm over here and distant from that guy. You see, what we discover in our text is we too are broken and we too need to be reminded to walk humbly before God. We may not say those exact words as the Pharisee, but we have other phrases and sentences that we use every day in our life. One of those phrases might be something like, you're not going to talk to me like that. This idea of spiritual pride in my life. I'm really beyond being held accountable. You don't need to, to pull me in and talk to me about my lifestyle or the way I talk or other things that are going on in my life. I, I get defensive in that moment, and I'm not open to really having some kind of spiritual discussion where you're calling me on the carpet. You don't get to talk to me that way. And in your own life, you may not have those accountability people in your life, and it may be because that you've experienced and expressed some prideful moments along the way. And now no one is left because of your defensiveness in the process. Maybe you've said a phrase like, I'm not going to be the one who apologizes. I'm not going to be the one to apologize. After all, you're in the wrong and I'm in the right. And the Bible reminds us that, that pride breeds quarreling. That it really creates some, some against mentality within our relationships the idea here is really I'm better in this moment than you are. So I'm not going to be the one to say, I'm sorry or forgive me. That's going to be their job. Not mine, but their job. I'm not going to be the one to apologize. 
Or maybe you've said, said a phrase like, you know, it's, it's not me, it's you. If you would just get your act together, if you would clean up everything going on in your life, then we could have a relationship because I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be, need to be. The onus is on you to fix this relationship. If you would just fix everything going on in your life, it's not me, it's you. And that pride moment really illustrates a story that Jesus told one time. And many of us try to pick the uh, splinter out of our family's eye or our friend's eye or our spouse's eye when we have a telephone pole hanging out of our own. It's not me, it's you. Or maybe you've said something along the way like, you know, it's just not fair. It's just not fair. And you and I, I don't know why it is difficult for us to to congratulate, to celebrate with other people who, who get things in life, who accomplish some life goals who do some things before we ever do or maybe that we'll never do. But we look at that when they have something we don't and we think we should have that. And we say, you know what? It's just not fair. You were fine eating your bowl of ice cream until you saw someone with two more scoops than you had and sprinkles. And you said, why don't I have that? We look in life and we look at other people and their accomplishments and think, you know, it's just not fair. We become discontent in the moment. Or maybe you've said a phrase like, I don't really need help. I'm kind of self-sufficient. I'm my own savior. I, I I can do it on my own. I don't need anybody else walking with me in the moment. I've got this all figured out. I don't need you and what you have to say. And what we discover along the way when we dig into especially that first century church in the book of Acts is that we are a community, a family together. We journey together. That's how you get through this life, that and the Holy Spirit. We need one another in the process. No, we may not say the exact words as the Pharisee, but we have the same heart at times as the Pharisee. Some things that we should know about this pharisaical type heart and attitude is if we focus on the outside, our, our faith really becomes a performance for other people to observe and say, wow, look how awesome. Look how spiritual he or she is. It becomes performance-based rather than humbly just coming before God. Jesus addresses that in our first text that we looked at, Matthew chapter 23, when he says everything they do is so that other people will notice them. And for us today, one of those platforms that make that easy to do, we fall into is a social media trap. Now, I want to say that social media is not a negative thing. It's not a bad thing. It can be. I've got lots of social media as well, post pictures on, and sometimes y'all make fun of my pictures, and that's okay. (laughs) You just wish you had orange pants like me, I know. (laughs) But it helps us create the best version of ourselves. I mean, I I know that you've had that vacation moment where where you maybe took the family to to Florida or, or down to Padre maybe Corpus Christi, and you found that perfect sand dune, right, on the beach. Nobody was around. The sun was at the right angle. You got the whole family out there, took the shoes off, rolled the khakis up, had the white shirt. You know, you you got that one at home, don't you? 
You guys are smiling just right. It's just a perfect shot. But you don't post that picture until it's just right. And then you put it on social media. Now, what, what, the picture you don't put on social media is in the car on the way to the sand dune, the fighting that's going on in the car before you got there. Or, or the argument that happened about the restaurant we're going to go to after the picture was taken. You don't put that picture on social media. Or, or maybe, maybe you've got that great date night with your love. And yet you take a picture of your, your love and you at the restaurant and how everything is going just right. And you post that and everybody thinks, wow, I wish I had that kind of relationship. What you don't post is the picture from Monday morning before coffee that looks like, just speak to me, I dare you. (laughs) We don't post that one. But social media tends to reinforce that it's all about the outside. It's all about making sure I look good on the outside. And like the Pharisee, we end up comparing down rather than up. Because in our culture, if we compare up, we've already lost the battle. And so we compare down. And church, what what we're told in Scripture over and over again is that we should not be comparing to each other. Church, we should be comparing ourselves to Jesus Christ. Because that is the standard. When we compare ourselves to Jesus Christ, each and every one of us must become humble. Because we realize how holy he is and how unholy we are how perfect he is, how imperfect we are. Social media can be a trap if we let it because I see your pictures posted and I think, I don't look like that. My, My family doesn't look like that. Is there something wrong with me? Is there something wrong with my family? Something wrong with my marriage? We put our confidence in our accomplishments And we end up pointing to what we've done rather than what Jesus Christ has done for us. You see, in our text this morning, the Pharisee uses the pronoun I five different times. Look how awesome I am. Look what I am doing. Look how incredible I am. The Old Testament law required that they fast once a year. But this guy, he he fasts twice a week. How incredibly spiritual he is. He's beefing up that spiritual resume so that he looks awesome in front of his peer group, his family, his town. Warren Wiersbe has a quote about Pharisees when he says, The great sin of the Pharisees was hypocrisy based on pride. Their religion was external, not internal. It was to impress people, not to please God. They bound people with heavy burden while Christ came to set people free. They loved titles and public recognition and exalted themselves at the expense of other people. And if we're not careful, we too could have a heart like a Pharisee. Jesus goes on with his story in verse 13 with the one and only verse that's kind of dedicated to the second person in our story. Jesus says, but the tax collector, he stood at a distance And dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Here's a guy who understands how unworthy he truly is. He stands at a distance. He's not willing to be the center of attention. He doesn't want the spotlight, but he stands at a distance 
far away from where the Pharisee stands. And so metaphorically, I ask you the question this morning, how long has it been since you prayed at a distance? How long has it been since you bowed humbly before our God? I mean, he doesn't look up to heaven. He's wrapped up in his own emotion, realizing where he is in the grand scheme of things. He acknowledges that God is holy while he has a lack of holiness in his own life. For him, it is an inside job. He realizes and knows he needs God's mercy in the moment. He's not reciting some memorized prayer, but he's praying from his heart. And so you've got this Pharisee who creates his own rules because he's trying to impress. And what we discover in our story is that God is not impressed with people who want to impress. Instead, we see a tax collector that has no illusion of his own righteousness. And he's leaning into the story of God, desperately wanting to know that he's loved and forgiven and granted grace and mercy. Jesus goes on in verse 14. He says, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, return home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. A sinner has been justified, not the Pharisee, the guy who believes he has it all together. He's got everything going for him. And we realize that what Jesus is looking at in his creation and what we look at in our creation, each other, is two different things. Over my ministry career, I've gotten to sit and talk with numerous people about where they are in life, what they're dealing with in life. And they're desperately trying to figure out, how do I connect to my creator? They've, they've sat with me and they've asked, how do I stop worrying about appearance? How do I get out of debt? How do I stop worrying about buying more stuff to keep up with the Joneses? How do I move through that? How do, how do I save my marriage? How do I pour into my spouse and let them know that they are the most important thing and I want to make this thing right? How do I overcome addiction in my life? What do I do to get it right? What are the steps that I need to make? And what we discover along the way, church, is there is no substitute to humbling yourself before God. And we look into the word of God and we find and understand through Jesus' life how we're called to live. But you and I, we struggle with that selfish, self-centered moment. I want to do things my way, and we discovered along the way when I make that decision, things don't turn out like I had hoped. We're called to fall before God and realize that he's the only one that can make it right. We struggle with that same temptation that comes knocking week after week. We don't want it there. We want to make this relationship right again. We, we want to have the type of life that looks like Jesus. But remember in verse 14 what Jesus says, he who humbles himself. It's not how you think. It's not how I think. We think this is something that happens to us. And what we discover along the way in verse 14 is that we are an active participant in this type of choice, this decision that we make. Jesus says, humble yourself. It is active on our part to pursuing and following and running after 
who God's called us to be. And so this morning we ask the question, then what does that look like? How do I become humble? How do I pour myself out? And as always, we look at what Jesus has to offer in his own life, the story of his life for us. Paul spells that story out to the church in Philippi when he writes them a letter. And in chapter 2, he reminds us of what it looks like to be humble. A lot of scholars believe this was a first century hymn that the church would sing. We'll read it. You're going to know it. It'll be familiar to you. But Paul reminds us in verse 5, he says, You must, that's an imperative, it's got to happen. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus gave up everything that was owed him because he was God and came to live among us, his creation. He humbly submitted to life in a human body and was eventually put to death on a cross for your sake and mine. And as we look at our story in Luke chapter 18, there are some things that God wants to reveal to us, some things that we should be doing in our own lives that help us live a more humble lifestyle. And one of those things is voluntary confession. We realize I need three or four different people in my life who I can be frank with, that I can just say, this is what I'm dealing with right now. These are the things that I can confess. These are my struggles right now that you and I are called to, to remember and vocalize that we're not perfect people, that we're broken people, and we desperately need God in our life. A second thing is that we're called to give selflessly. That as we interact with people around us, it's not about me, but it's about you. It's about pulling you up, lifting you up, serving with you and serving you in particular. To say, we're in this thing together, but it's not about me. The third one is close to that. Treat others better than you would treat yourself. Church, imagine for a moment if we were a congregation who truly believed this one point. No one here would go without. You guys would be taking care of me. I like that idea. We would all be taking care of each other. Cross point, if this was our mentality, would blow up in a good way. People would be coming in because the culture does not offer this. But Jesus Christ does. And we're called to live that out. The last thing is to ask for help. That we realize we don't journey alone. We're a family. We're in this thing together. I cannot do it alone. I need you by my side, on my left and my right, with the Holy Spirit living in each of us. We move through this life together. That's how we humble ourselves, just like Jesus' example was. And God has promised us, when you humble yourself, I am going to lift you up. Look what Paul goes on to say in verse 9. He starts with the word, therefore. 
That's always a turning point. Paul has said, hey, this is how Jesus humbled himself. But because he humbled himself, therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. Church, did you hear that? Jesus humbled himself and God exalted him. So that every knee is going to bow. And I'll give you a little secret. You can either humble yourself and bow your knee today, or you will on the last day. Because Jesus Christ is Lord. He is our risen Savior. He's the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the coming Messiah. He is the one that will make all things new. And you and I need to surrender to him. We need to give our life to him. And it's only when we do that, when we decide to come empty, that his spirit truly can come within us and change our hearts for what we're designed for. And that is giving God glory in our life. Would you agree, church? It's time that you and I kind of have a come to Jesus meeting with ourselves. That we make a decision that we're going to live life out in such a way that his name is glorified. That in the way we talk and then we treat people around us, that we're going to humbly walk through those relationships because that's what Jesus did as an example for us. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to live out, live in such a way as to give God glory in every segment of our life, to come empty before him. And it's only in those moments that we truly will receive the peace and the joy, the grace and the mercy that each one of us have been granted because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We're called to come empty and let him rule our surrendered life. We're going to sing a song here in just a moment. Our shepherd's going to be around the wall of this room. And I want to encourage you as we sing this song, if you've got a need in your life that you you just need some encouragement for, some prayer over, go find one of our shepherds. Let them pray for you and over you. Let them lay hands on you. Just to remind you, you're not in this thing alone. That God's with you, his Holy Spirit is in you, and we're all in this thing together. And so before we sing this song, church, I want to pray a prayer of blessing for each and every one of us. So if you would, let's bow together. Father, we come to you this morning so thankful for what you've done for us. And God, this morning we acknowledge that you are the God of the universe, the one and only. And God, we serve you. And God, we acknowledge this morning that we have not lived life many times how you've called us to live, and we ask for your forgiveness. We confess that to you. God, we want to be like your son, Jesus Christ. And so I ask, God, that you come over us this morning, that you wash over us, that you instill within us a heart of compassion and love, just like Jesus. God, we are so thankful for what you have done for us through your son on the cross that you have forgiven us, granted us mercy. And I pray, God, that we would live a life of gratitude through our words and actions that let the world know that we are in love with you. Thank you, God, for your love and your mercy. And it's through his son, Jesus Christ, we offer this prayer. Amen. Let's stand and praise his name together.